Hello and welcome to Conversations from the Edge, a podcast brought to you by Service Logic. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. Of course, Service Logic loves to make sure that when new ideas, software, and products come to light, that you are able to see them and you can watch these at your leisure. And we have a great topic today. We're talking about the future of respiratory virus mitigation in buildings. Now, let me backtrack here because we all know the importance of air quality when it comes to odors when it comes to particles in the air. But today we're specifically talking about the need for virus mitigation. I don't have to tell you we are in cold and flu season right now. And especially post-pandemic, we're understanding the importance even more so of making sure that our air is as clean as it can be. So I have two great guests who are going to help me with this conversation today. Kevin Boyle is the Vice President of Products and Marketing at GPS Air, and Charles Waddell is the Founder and CTO at GPS Air. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Why is respiratory virus indoor transmission such an important topic right now? Yeah, appreciate the chance to be here and talk about it. It's, uh, you know, while our products and our technology for the past uh, decade plus have been deployed uh, to try and help with indoor air quality, particle reduction and odors, you mentioned those. Uh, It really is respiratory virus mitigation that has taken center stage. Uh, It was really COVID-19 that that did that. It's it's always been an issue. People have been getting sick in buildings for many, 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 many years. Uh, But COVID-19 really elevated that when it became um, common and commonly understood that this was was, uh, happening and transmissible indoors. Uh, then people started to really pay attention. And there was a lot of investment and attention uh, and energy uh, that was put against that. We're having a really bad flu season right now. Um, you see our, our hospital system is under pressure. Uh, drug stores are oftentimes out of uh, the, ne- the necessities. Um, so it's, it's, it's happening now. And we think that this is with us, that this is the, the respiratory viruses are going to be a challenge for buildings and for occupants um, into the future. Uh, we are excited. ASHRAE, which is one, our standards-making body for the HVAC industry, uh, has recently announced they've taken on an initiative to develop a standard for respiratory virus mitigation in buildings. Uh, and so that's a really big step. So it's one of the reasons why it's a, a great topic for us to cover today. So talking about that current landscape, let's dive a little deeper. What is the standard development and code adoption looking like right now? So right now, ASHRAE has created a new standard called Standard 241. It's in its infancy right now. It's actually a request from the White House for ASHRAE to develop the standard for mitigation of airborne infection and transmission of this uh, respiratory virus. And so we're pretty excited. We have applied to participate on this committee. And for those of you watching the podcast, if you want to participate as well, you can always attend these meetings, even though you may not be on the committee officially, ASHRAE always has an open door policy and you can sit in on those uh, standards and hear what's being discussed and what may potentially be the future of uh, building codes once this standard is developed. And they've actually uh, fast tracked it, which is something kind of unique for ASHRAE. Standards are always written by ASHRAE, but they tend to take years. And this has been uh, requested to be completed within six months. And I think that's very important with what we're facing right now with all these different Uh, outbreaks that we're seeing across the world. 
Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about you know, indoor air quality. We discussed why it is so important because obviously, especially during cold and flu season, even more so. And Kevin, I believe you said in the beginning, you know, after the pandemic, we're even more aware of the necessity that we really need to monitor that air quality. So how are buildings contending with all of this when it comes to the context of respiratory virus mitigation? A lot of things have changed over the last couple of years with building and operations. Historically, buildings were designed to provide thermal conditioning, proper temperature, proper humidity, but the overall view of indoor air quality has significantly changed during the pandemic. Now people are worried about how to control the virus in the space and multiple layers have started to be incorporated into buildings, including uh, Active technologies like UVC or uh, needlepoint bipolar ionization or what we call soft ionization. You have portable room air cleaners. Uh, some people have opted to just simply open windows if they're in environments that it's conducive to doing that. Now, you know, we're located in Charlotte, so in the middle of the summer, opening a window isn't necessarily the best thing to do to let in all that humidity because then that can cause mold and cause other issues. So uh, more ventilation has definitely been uh, suggested by a lot of the uh, different governing bodies out there as well as increasing your filtration. If your system's fan and motors can handle the additional uh, static pressure of a higher efficiency filter, then certainly increase your filtration efficiency as well. Let's take a look at some of those solutions. You kind of touched on a few, but what solutions are available right now? And let's talk about the pros and cons of each of them. Yeah, Charlie, I really like the, this notion of multi-layered. Um, I think that's really important. I think when it comes to the solution set that's available for buildings and for uh, practitioners, engineers, and facilities managers that are trying to put together the best indoor air quality strategy. Uh, there's these layers, and each of them has trade-offs. So uh, some of the trade-offs that we think about, cost is certainly one of them. Uh, energy consumption is, is another. Uh, one of the goals of this community is, is decarbonization. We want to be responsible with our energy consumption. So we've got to think about when we're trying to solve one problem, are we creating another? Um, also noise, um, that's, a, that's a major issue. I like to break down um, the, the solution set into um, in-space solutions, things that are actually in the space with the occupants versus those that are out. Uh, when it comes to respiratory viruses, there's occupants that are shedding this virus and um, really in-space solutions have, have shown to be very effective, more effective. One of the most common solutions that we see in the market is in-space HEPA cleaners. So these are those portable units that you'd plug into the wall. But we see them in classrooms, we see them in buildings, we use them in our homes, I use them in my home. Uh, however, uh, they're also loud, they're noisy. Uh, we actually did a survey not too long ago uh, of, of teachers, K through 12 teachers, and 70% of the teachers that responded said that they either turned those in-room units down to low or off because they were too noisy for classes that you can't, they can't conduct their teaching when those are running. Um, so there's trade-offs with each of these solutions. Uh, we're pretty focused on problem solving here at GPS. Uh, we actually have a product that we're going to be launching here in the next month. It's uh, our IDF2, which is a product that was de developed specifically to get into the occupied space, deliver pathogen mitigation benefits using our NPBI ionization, but do it quietly. Uh, and that's one of the things we're really excited about you know, as, as leaders in the industry is how do, we, how do we extend innovation? How do we develop solutions to help solve this problem? And so that's a really interesting thing when it comes to 
this new standard that's being developed? How do we develop products that can comply with these standards? How can the standard be written in a way that is pro-innovation? Yeah, and Kevin, I'd like to add to that. One of the things I'm really excited about with this new product that's going to be the uh, ceiling-mounted uh, air purification device is that it requires uh, no maintenance. It's an auto-cleaning system. There's no filters inside of it. Uh, unlike a lot of other technologies out there, these school districts, as an example, have received a lot of government funding to pay for technologies. However, they're not going to continue to receive government funding to pay for the replacement parts that a lot of these technologies require. So at some point in the future, the money that they have spent may be wasted because they're not going to be utilized properly when the school districts have to come up with the money to pay for those replacement parts and the maintenance on those systems. Wow. So let's talk about, you know, of course, there's a, a code of standards that you need and want to abide by. And when it comes to testing with IAQ, I'm hearing different things. Hearing the validity is kind of coming in question because performance results are not necessarily the same as manufacturers testing. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I appreciate the question. This is one that comes up quite a bit. There's this this category of indoor air quality is loaded with information, um, and it can be difficult to for for many people to unpack and understand the trade offs between technologies. Um, testing for this type of technology uh, had, was at least pre COVID nineteen was very underdeveloped. Not a lot of infrastructure for testing technologies. There certainly weren't many standards. Um, there aren't standards today when it comes to respiratory respiratory virus mitigation. So that's one that we're making progress on. But we've seen a really nice step forward. There's there's more more to come, but we've seen a really nice step forward in terms of uh, the testing capabilities and the quality of testing that's being done to help uh, inform consumers about what technologies should be used and what the trade offs are for those technologies. Um, Early 2020, for example, we were one of the first companies to test our products against SARS-CoV-2, for example. Uh, there was the, many of the labs that we worked with, leading labs, they weren't touching COVID. They weren't touching SARS-CoV-2. Um, we found a partner that was willing to do that. We were, we were, to the best of my knowledge, the first to do that. And we, even though we're an air treatment product, we actually started testing on surfaces because it's safer and easier to deal with th this organism uh, with surfaces. So you start there, you start on surfaces, you start in smaller chambers, and you evolve from there. Uh, we now have the capacity and the industry has the capacity to do testing in large chambers, 1,000 cubic feet, 2,000 cubic feet cha foot chambers, uh, and you really can help tease apart what is the performance effectiveness of technology A versus technology B? So that's a really important step. Uh, there's still more work to be done. Uh, I think that that many of the academics in the space are starting to grapple with some of these things and make sense of it. One of the common mistakes that we still see uh, that, that's happening, uh, there's an organism that some, some people listening to this may have heard of, it's called MS2. It's commonly used because it's, it's not, um, pathogenic, it's not going to make a human sick. So you can use, you can use that organism in, uh, in biosafety level one facilities, very easy to use, but it also is a non-envelope virus. It doesn't inactivate very easily. So um, we think it's really important that people recognize that using the right organism in your testing is, is really, really important. And so we're starting to see acknowledgement of that. We're starting to see the industry move forward at a minimum using surrogates that are more representative of the respiratory viruses, which are envelope viruses. So 
really good progress on on each of these things and really excited about where it's headed, but but uh, more more to be done. Yeah, and testing is such a crucial part of what we're talking about here today. But let's talk about some other challenges that you're seeing with how those technologies are being compared. Yeah, I think t- testing is one of those big, big areas that, you know, education that people need to just um, come up the curve and understand how things are being tested. The other one is, uh, I'll just call it technology conflation. Uh, there's there's a number of different technologies that are out there uh, which have meaningful differences, some of which uh, get grouped together. Many, many in the industry will group uh, technologies together that don't belong together. Uh, Charlie probably can speak to this in more detail, but um, there's some key differences. Certainly when we think about our technology, there's some key differences in how our technology functions um, versus others. This this notion of, I'll introduce a concept here for many of the listeners, but um, hard ionization versus soft ionization. Um, that's a, a, a term um, that we sort of, we point to analytical chemistry. Mass spec is is where that comes from. It's well-established. Uh, in that field, uh, but it's a really meaningful thing. Um, many people would think of ionization all as the same, but it's it's not. Uh, that hard ionization is um, where you're applying a tremendous amount of energy and you break apart these molecules and you can have secondary byproducts. Uh, our technology was developed specifically to operate differently, that it's a soft ionization process. We actually generate negative ions and positive ions as opposed to splitting apart molecules to create um, uh, new molecules. And so that's a really important distinction. It's super technical and it's a lot for people to unpack, but it's it's a really important thing. And I think technology conflation has to be managed. I think that recognizing products and technologies um, for their own merits and for what each of them stand on is going to be really important. And hopefully the standard that's being developed can sort of contemplate that and sort of deal with that and allow technologies to stand on their own as opposed to being grouped or sort of uh, brought down to the lowest common denominator. Um, so, Charlie, I don't know if you have something to add to that, but that's that's a, that's an important topic. I agree. All right. Well said, Kevin. So nothing nothing to add there. <laughs> Charlie's got nothing after that. So I hear GPS talk about the multi-layered strategy. What is this and where does it come from? So the multi-layered strategy is the concept where you use multiple technologies in combination with each other to get a better result. If you go back to where I first heard about it, it was actually April of 2020 when a paper was published by a company called the Mission Next Foundation. And it was a joint partnership or venture between Auburn University and Maxwell Air Force Base or Air University, as they call it. And they got a lot of doctors together, engineers, medical doctors, and they came out with this multi-layered air defense strategy or what they call MLADS, you know, how the military loves their acronyms. So MLADS is what they call it, but again, multiple multi-layer air defense strategy, and by incorporating multiple layers of what they call the Swiss cheese model, where each slice of a piece of cheese has holes in it, and if you put enough of them together and stack them together, then air could not directly move through that stack of cheese, even with all those holes, because it's multi-layered. And so the multi-layer would really refer to using proper ventilation, using increased filtration when you can do that. Uh, portable room air cleaners, uh, things of that nature. That's all part of this multi-layered strategy. And that's one of the things uh, with GPS, we've always recommended. You know, We've never said that we're the silver bullet. It's not just one solution and you're done. With our technology, you need to layer it with other technologies to have the maximum benefit. As an example, you would wanna use a minimum of a particle filter 
with our technology, if you want to see particle agglomeration, particle reduction uh, within the actual space itself. Now, if you're looking for strictly inactivation, a lot of the testing that you can read on our website, it was done without particle filters. It was strictly done to show the impact of only ionization against uh, especially SARS-CoV-2, as well as some other uh, pathogens that we've tested. So it can work by itself. It works best in a multi-layered approach uh, to all these buildings that are having these issues with this virus. Is the multi-layered solution approach common? Who's using this method right now? It's, it's becoming more and more common just by nature of how a lot of HVAC systems are designed. They inherently have some part of this multi-layered strategy where they have some outside air, maybe not as much as they have now based on what all these government bodies have recommended through the pandemic. They already have filters, but they were probably lower efficiency filters, which per ASHRAE uh, standard 62 recommended initially or for many years, a MERV-8 filter minimum to protect the mechanical equipment, but MERV-8 wasn't necessarily there to protect the occupants. So by increasing the filtration, you capture more particles per pass and you're able to uh, reduce that. So I would say the people that are using this would be best in their class, whether it's schools, whether it's office buildings, they've really latched on to the uh, MLADS approach or the Mission Next Foundation approach or what some of these other governing bodies have now proposed is the multi-layered strategy. And those are the people I see utilizing it. So unfortunately, not everybody's doing it yet, but more and more people, once they learn about it and see the benefit of it, they are adopting this methodology. I've heard, I think, from both of you, the fact that there's been a lot of steps taken to get us to a point where we are better suited to take care of this issue, but there still needs to be a lot of work done. So what does the future hold? What are you most excited about when it comes to where you see technology going, especially with mitigating indoor viruses? Yeah, I think that, that, that there's work to be done um, by all the stakeholders on this. I think that buildings have to commit to investing in these solutions, that this the rate of respiratory virus, uh, new respiratory viruses we see as only increasing. Uh, these seasons continue to come at us and it continues to affect productivity in the workplace and in schools um, and, and, and worse. Um, and so we really are, think that the, the buildings um, across the U.S. and throughout the world need to take this very seriously. And one of the ways that that's going to happen is standards that make their way into building codes. Uh, we think that, that building code adoption of these standards will be an important driver to beginning to tackle the, these problems. And industry has to innovate. Industry has to find new ways of solving these problems with uh, technologies that may or may not be available today, but that continue to be optimized, um, trying to balance the trade-offs that are out there, cost, energy, noise in space, all these things that, that we've touched on with you. So um, one of the things that I think is great for listeners um, who are in the HVAC space to do is to engage with, um, with ASHRAE in their local chapters, um, with these committees, help educate them on some of the challenges out there. I know many uh, certainly uh, have used our technology uh, over the past decade to great success tackling problems in buildings um, and would really encourage them to um, promote those things, to share those success stories so that, uh, that, that these great innovations that are really useful for this problem um, are able to be deployed properly. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. There's ASHRAE chapters, regional chapters all over the country. Most major cities have an ASHRAE chapter. So people that want to get involved and learn about these standards and the processes within ASHRAE, I would encourage them to attend 
those sessions and learn more about uh, these standards as they're being developed. A lot of people out there could add a lot to the development of the standards as well with their expertise in specific areas. Any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here? Final thought for me is just, you know, pro-innovation. You know, there, there are there are some really, really important things um, that need to be done in, in product development and the rate of technology um, coming to market is going to be really important to healthy buildings in the future. So I think a pro-innovation posture is going to be really important um, from the standards makers on this one. I'd like to offer for any listeners out there that would like to see this technology firsthand, we invite you to visit us at our corporate headquarters in Charlotte, North Carolina. Stop by and we'd be happy to show you the product development area, our R&D area, and actually see all the testing and the science going into the development of this technology. A lot of excitement there. Coffees, tea, and snacks available as well, if people would like. It is. <laughs> For the big tour. <laughs> Talking about the future of respiratory virus mitigation in buildings. Two great guests, Kevin Boyle, Vice President of Products and Marketing at GPS Air, and Charles Waddell, Founder and CTO at GPS Air. Thank you both for your time. Great conversation. As we said, a lot of steps taken to get us to a better place and get better footing, but a lot more work needs to be done. And excited to hear that both of you are in the full-fledged mode of, of getting that work done and excited to hear what happens in the future and uh, the new technology that might just be around the corner. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Conversations from the Edge, a Service Logic podcast. Of course, if you would like more information about GPS, you can go to gpsair.com and you can go to servicelogic.com for more information about Service Logic and all of their podcast episodes and more great guests will be coming your way. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney. We hope to see you soon. Mm-hmm.